6. How you guys doing? Enjoying your summer so far? Yeah. Let's pray together. Fathers, we open up the word. We know that your word is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And as we look at the walls of Jericho being broken down, we know you haven't changed. We desire that you would bring breakthroughs in our lives. We're all facing different challenges. So would you speak to us in only the way that you can? And we welcome the Holy Spirit here to lead us and guide us in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Breakthroughs. We all desire and long for breakthroughs in our lives. Whether it's just a stinky attitude that we struggle with day after day and we go, Lord, I really desire a breakthrough in my attitudes that I have. Or it's bondage to sin. We've got a struggle with sin that seems to get the best of us. It's got our number and we fail over and over again. And we cry out to the Lord this morning, I desire a breakthrough. Maybe it's a broken relationship and a wall has been built up between a husband and a wife, a son and a dad, a mom and a daughter. We cry out, we say, Lord, I need you to do a breakthrough. Well, this chapter is exactly where the children of Israel are. The Jordan River's behind them. Jericho's in front of them, this walled city. God has prepared and worked in their hearts and their lives. What we saw in chapter 5, if you missed that study last week, it's a good one to pick up at the media center there or listen to online. Because without chapter 5, if you just rush into Jericho, you're like, I'm going to take on this battle. Man, we're going to miss it. We'll be a casualty in battle. Because God got them into the promised land. And then he said, okay, all of the men, they need to be circumcised. Leading them in a place where they were very vulnerable to the enemy's attack. The reason that God did that is because he wanted their hearts. Circumcision always represented a heart that's set apart to God. If our heart's not set apart from God, as Brandon led us in worship, you know, what's written upon our hearts? If it's not God and his kindness and his character, we can't rush into battle. We've got to be set apart for him. Also, God says, I want you to celebrate Passover. He brought them in on the 14th day of the first month, and they had the first Passover in the promised land, remembering God's faithfulness. The end of chapter 5, Jesus steps onto the pages of the Old Testament and he encounters Joshua. And Joshua gets something settled that God is the one who's going to lead this charge into the promised land. The commander of the army is Jesus. It's not him. And that's important for us to understand in these battles that we face, these things that we go through, that Jesus is the one that's going to bring about the victory and we need to be surrendered to him. It's refreshing also to know it's not on our shoulders Joshua's in that place of, how am I going to make these walls fall? How are we going to conquer the Jericho? Only God can do that. Joshua needed to be surrendered to the Lord. So let's look at verse 1, and as we go through this chapter, we'll make some notes about things that we can apply to our lives to seek breakthrough. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Jericho is this large fortified city right inside of the promised land. As you cross over the Jordan River, it's an ancient city with lots of history. It was mentioned in Numbers 22. There's still people today that currently live in Jericho right around these ancient ruins. The climate is wonderful. It's great for growing stuff. It's known as the city of palms. They also had a great water source in this ancient city. 
but it was also very secure. We know from history that there was two double walls. So you'd have a wall, some space, and then another giant wall. The geography was 10 acres. So if you think about that, our church property that the Lord has given to us here is nine acres, where the church sits, the front parking lot, and the parking lot over in the corner is is nine acres. So that kind of gives you the idea of this city and these people packed inside of the city. But what's the condition of their hearts as we enter chapter six? Is they're securely shut in. They've closed the gates. They're not going in or out because they're terrified of Israel. This is a nomadic people. They're not known for being warriors. They understand that there's something different because of what had happened at the Jordan River. Their hearts had melted. They're like, we can't even stand up to the nation of Israel. And they're in the place of fear. In Deuteronomy 9 verse 1, it says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven. So that gives you an idea of how great Jericho was. God describes it as being fortified up to heaven. So verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given you Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. God has to get Joshua's attention and say, look, look at me and look at my promise and look at what I'm doing. It would have been easy for Joshua to just focus on the wall, focus on the difficulty. But God's saying, no, you look at me. If you're facing a Jericho in your life, an uncertainty, a difficulty for a moment, do your best to get your eyes off the Jericho and get it onto God. See, stop and look. And then God's promise, I've already given you Jericho I've given you the kings. I've given you the mighty men of valor. From God's perspective, it's already accomplished, though it's a future event. God doesn't say, I'm going to give you this stuff. He says, I've already done it. That's the same in our lives as well. When it comes to victory over sin, we're saying, I want a breakthrough, and we feel like we're in bondage. God's already given us the victory because Jesus has died for our sins and risen again, and the power of sin is broken in our lives. Our part then is to walk in obedience to the word of God. As we walk in obedience to the command and the word of God, that's when the breakthroughs come. That's what we can sum this whole chapter up as. When we look at breakthroughs, it comes through obeying God's word, choosing to walk in the victory that God has already provided for us. God could have done this a lot of different ways with Jericho, right? He could have said, I'm going to huff, and I'm going to puff, and I'm going to blow the walls down. There you go, guys. Now all you have to do is is enter in. But God has a different plan where they're going to have many steps of faith that they're going to have to take before the victory comes. In verse 3, we're going to read down here for several verses. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all of the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. If you're familiar with Joshua... In the city of Jericho, this is where it's easy for it to go to static noise. Wah, 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 wah. I know the story. 
walk around, do their thing, shout on the seventh day, the walls go boom, flat, let's go on to chapter seven. And I see some of your body language. You're like, you read my body language perfect. That's exactly what I'm doing this morning. But let's stop and put ourselves in Joshua's shoes and the children of Israel. Church, RMC, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is ludicrous. This is absolutely crazy. This is nonsense right here. Imagine God speaking to you saying, okay, this is how I'm going to defeat the city. Just go walk around it and do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times and then shout real loud and I'm going to flatten, flatten the walls. And in order to experience the breakthroughs in our lives, that Israel, the breakthrough that they experienced, the first thing to maybe write down and meditate on is you've got to receive God's instruction. You've got to receive his game plan to bring about a victory. This doesn't make any sense to a military general. I'm going to take my men of war, and I'm just going to walk around the city. We're going to be sitting ducks for them to sit up on the wall and knock us off. They had to trust the Lord and to walk in that place of faith. I think a lot of times we say that we're willing to receive God's instruction, but we don't really mean it. Joshua had had something happen in his heart and his life as he encountered Jesus. He understood the holiness of God, the power of God, where Jesus came to Joshua with a sword. That's not how we generally picture Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua says, are you friend or foe? Jesus says, neither. The question is, is not God for us, but are we for him? Are we surrendered to him? Are we on his team? And Joshua asks this question and he says, what do you want my, your servant to do? Lord, what do you want your servant to do? And he meant it. Paul went through a similar encounter with Christ where he asked the same question. Lord, what do you want me to do? And if we come to that place, we're like, God, I can't do this on my own. These challenges that I'm facing, whether it's relational, or it's financial, or it's physical, this is a wall that I can't overcome. And God, what are your instructions? What do you say? And when I approach the scriptures and we approach the scriptures, a lot of times it's like, God, I want to learn more about you. Oh, it's so cool. You're gracious. You're awesome. You're, you're merciful. And all that's wonderful. And it has an important place. But do we really approach the scriptures and say, okay, God, how do you want me to do this? How do you want me to march forward from, from this place? And I'm going to take your instructions and I'm going to put it into practice. Because for the children of Israel, there's some things here that was out of the box. They were to walk around the city of Jericho seven times on the seventh day. That's the Sabbath. They weren't supposed to travel on the Sabbath, let, go, let alone go in and conquer a whole group of people. That's a lot of work. Also, the priests weren't to be in the military, and they're going to be in the middle of this march. The Ark of the Covenant didn't normally go into battle. This is the only time we see the Ark of the Covenant in the battle, except for in the book of Samuel, where it went all wrong and they just brought the Ark of the Covenant out as a good luck charm and they lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. And God's setting all that aside and he's saying, I want you to receive my instructions. This is what I want to do in this particular situation. And maybe you're saying, well, I don't know what God's saying. I don't know what his instructions are. That's where you get into the word. You start to read it, not just for suggestions, not to just so people think it's cool that we know about the book of Romans. 
But God, I really want to hear your heart. I want to put your instructions into my life. And as we do that, the breakthroughs will start to come. So they received God's instructions. And then verse 6. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the Ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Church, second point is put worship first. First, God lays out the instructions, but in the midst of the instructions, it's all about worship. Put worship first as you face the battles of Jericho. And you're saying, well, I don't see worship in in these verses. The Ark of the Covenant is key in this passage. The Ark of the Lord is mentioned time and time again. And where does God want the Ark? In the middle of the march. Again, this isn't military sense. Why would you take the Ark, the most valued thing, and put it right in the middle of your military march? Because it represents the presence of God. The presence of God. And if you really want a breakthrough in your life, it's all about the presence of the Lord. And practicing his presence and entering his presence, I found myself this week just longing for the presence of God. I'd gotten busy, things going on, crazy, going here from there. I know that the Lord is with me, but it'd been a few weeks since I'd really felt that nearness of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Do you ever get there? And then you just kind of stop all that you're doing. You say, Lord, I, I just need to feel your presence. I need to feel your closeness. I know that you're with me, but would you be gracious to allow me to feel your presence? And as we come week after week into worship, there's there's a part of us where we say, you know, I gotta stop and realize that I'm coming into the presence of the living God. That I'm going beyond whoever's leading us in worship and the style of worship and all those things and to powerfully sing to the Lord and express our heart and our love to the Lord. And as we go through the week and we're driving in our cars to get some worship music and begin to sing to the Lord or turn off everything and just begin to cry out to the Lord. The lunchtime hour to say, you know, I'm putting my work down and I'm gonna gonna go and just seek the Lord and be in his presence and worship him. See, that doesn't make common sense, but it's absolutely good sense from God's perspective. If you're entering into a difficult conversation with somebody, the best thing to do is enter into God's presence before you have that conversation. So, Lord, I welcome you here. And I know that there's a wall here between me and this brother in Christ, me and this sister in Christ, and I need you to do a work to break down these walls. I've been talking to my son, and it seems like I'm hitting a brick wall. God, I I need your presence in the midst of this. So the ark represented worship. Worship is in the midst of what's taking place, but also these trumpets. Now, I've got one, because I don't want you guys to uh, think about trumpets like brass, no, that's uh, not the case at all. You've got to think Hebrew, Israel. This is the nation of Israel. And what did the text say? It said ram's horns. And there were seven priests that had seven of these right here, seven of these trumpets. So they would go before the ark and they would be blowing 
these trumpets. And as we'll continue to read, they would continue to blow the trumpets as they walked around the walls. Now, I'm going to spare you on blowing this this morning because uh, they're actually really hard to do. Oh, come on. You guys want me to try it? Not on your life. I am not trying it. Oh, they are in the bookstore. I picked that up out of the bookstore. So you can go try it after the bookstore, you know, the bookstore. But these were significant for the nation of Israel because in Leviticus 23, they would have the Feast of Trumpets where they actually would blow these ram's horns and everybody would know it was time to rest for this particular feast. We need that, don't we? Wouldn't it be great if someone blew some trumpets all around town and then everything closed? You couldn't go to the grocery store even if you wanted to. And all of our smartphones became dumb phones for the whole feast. And we couldn't text or get on Facebook or any of those things. And we actually rest and we just unplug for a while. And that was the whole purpose of the Feast of Trumpets. But also in Numbers 10, they would use these trumpets to signal as they traveled through the wilderness, it's time to go. It's time to move camp. Now, parents, wouldn't you love that for your herd of kids? I think we're going to try it when the kids are in the backyard and just blow this and say, load up, everybody in the minivan. It's time, time to go. So it was also used as a signal to say it's time to move. It was also used to blow for times of war. And then also it was to announce worship as they would sacrifice. They would blow these trumpets. So all of these memories would come back of times of rest and worship and war as they would blow the trumpets. It's a sound, it's a call for worship in the midst of a battle. And I don't know how God does this, but this is a theme that we go through scripture is as we go into battle, we go as worshipers. That we don't leave out worship when we enter into the battle. And it does take a certain amount of spiritual discipline to not focus overly on the difficulty, but focus on God's character and his nature and begin to sing to him and thank him because it's in the battle that we need to be reminded of who God is. So the Ark of the Covenant and the trumpets, they accomplish that in our hearts and in our lives. Verse 10, now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. So day one is done. They make the first pass the first day around Jericho. The instructions are nobody talk. Absolute silence. No whispering. That would be unnerving for those that are in Jericho. Maybe they're sitting on the wall of Jericho. Got a nice wall view. Sipping their coffee. Sipping their tea. Hey, what's going on with the Israelites? Now they're marching around our walls. They're not saying anything. Unnerving. Maybe you know somebody where they just don't talk much. In a conversation with them go out to lunch or whatever, go into their office, and they just look at you. You ask them a question. They look some more. It messes with your head, doesn't it? It gets a little bit unnerving. You start thinking things like, I don't think they like me, you know? They think I'm stupid. I am stupid. You know, all those things are just going through your heart and your mind. Please talk, right? And so this silence is going to be used as they're marching around the walls. 
in verse 12, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. So there you have it. They continued blowing the trumpets. And I'd missed that in studying Joshua 6. I just pictured absolute silence as they're going around, but these shofars would, would be blown as they went around. On the second day, they marched around the city once, and they returned to the camp. So they did six days. And I want to pause again here and emphasize that God has them do this for six days, then again on the seventh day, seven times. They go around this city 13 times. And I think there's a principle here for us, and it's don't rely upon your own understanding. Sometimes God asks you to do stuff that just doesn't make sense. You're like, I I can't figure this out. Why is walking around these city walls going to do any good? How are these ram's horns going to bring about the accomplishment? I sure hope that when we shout, something happens because I've done a lot of yelling in my life and no walls have fallen down, right? The whole point of this and the whole principle of this is you can't rely upon your own understandings. And God is God. And his ways are not our ways. And he does things for his own purposes. He doesn't seek counsel of anybody. God tells us in scripture, who of you have been my counselor? Now, most of us have tried, right? We go, God, I got this Jericho thing going on. Uh, I got this grenade launcher. Why don't we launch those in? And then we'll head in and we'll, we'll take out Jericho. God's like, no, thanks. I don't need your agenda. I don't need your plan. I don't need your, your good ideas. And deep down, we're thankful that God doesn't need counsel from us. Aren't you thankful for that? So he's his own counselor. He has his own wisdom. Scripture also tells us that the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. The way things, God does things in our lives, oftentimes we're going, Lord, I don't really understand this. This is really confusing to me, but you've given me marching orders. You've told me to do this. So I'm going to continue to walk in faith according to your word, even if I don't understand it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Day one, they go around, was probably pretty exciting. By day three and four, it's like we've been here before. Deja vu, feels like Groundhog's Day, you know? And what are they having to stare at? They're having to stare at the walls. Fighting and wrestling in their own minds. Is this gonna work out? Is God really gonna be faithful? I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. I'll I'll be faithful. And the Lord brings about that work. Because as we think about this and meditate upon it, there's a lot of things that God is doing in the midst of them having to walk around for these seven days. First is he's giving those in Jericho extended time to repent. God cares for the Israelites, but he also cares for those living in Jericho. They're about ready to be destroyed. And God gives them an extra week to stop and think. They know that something supernatural is happening. They could have done the same as Rahab and repented. So God gives them that extra time during this week for the nation of Israel having to stare at the walls for a week. It got imprinted on their hearts and their minds. There's no way that we can knock down the walls of Jericho. 
And sometimes God has us circle our difficulty and wait upon him in silence so that we get to the end of ourselves. So that Zechariah 4, 6 is more than a memory verse. Not by power, by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That we get so desperate, that we get so bankrupt of our resources that we're willing to rely upon God's resources. It's importance of patience. There's a lot of patience that's involved in this week. Hebrews 6.12 says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. We live in a microwave society, don't we? You go to Chick-fil-A and you're like, what's going on? It took four minutes. I can't believe this place. I'm going to start my own Chick-fil-A sandwich place. Four minutes, you know? Microwave, put it in there. It absolutely destroys all of the nutrients and cells in the food and just nukes it. But, oh, it's good. 15 seconds, I got lunch, right? And God's saying, I want to do a breakthrough in your life, but it may take six months. It may take six years. You got to wait on me. You got to keep walking in faith. You got to keep circling the city. It's through faith and patience that they inherited the promises. It's the same that's going to happen in our lives as well. Also, discipline is worked in them by having to get up every day and do this and the disciplines of silence. We need the discipline of silence. Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're never going to overcome the strongholds of the enemy unless we can learn to be silent. How many times have we created walls by foolish words? And to really stop and go, when am I supposed to speak? When am I supposed to listen? Are my words building people up? Are they tearing people down? And it's a discipline to be able to control our tongue and allow the Lord to take control of us through his spirit to where our words are ones of edification. As we look in the mirror and we do it several times a day, you'll notice we got two of these bad babies right here. Two ears, one mouth, right? God says, I want you to listen at least twice as much as you speak. So this discipline of silence was learned as they went through this. Most importantly, though, having to walk around the wall for a week caused God to receive the glory because he's the one who clearly did the work. He could have done this any way that he wanted to, but he wanted to show everyone that he's the one who gets the glory. And that's what God's all about. As we go through our lives and we don't understand if we'll walk in faith, at the end of it, God will be the one who's glorified because it's clear that he's the one who's brought the victory. In verse 15, But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. So you're in Jericho. Like, okay, they're doing this every day. They can have their little march. Go back to their camp. And all of a sudden, day seven comes, and they're like, uh-oh, They're not going back to camp. They're doing lap two and lap three and lap four. So they finished seven times around. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. When were they to shout before the walls fell? A lot of times I want to shout when the walls fall. Yeah, God, that's awesome. You flattened the walls. Now I'm ready to worship. Now I'm ready to shout. But God wants us to rejoice before the results. He wants us to be in that place of worship and rejoicing while Jericho is still standing. While we're still looking for work. 
while the relational challenge is still there, the physical challenge is still there, the battle with sin is still there. I haven't seen the breakthrough, but I'm gonna choose to rejoice before the results. Now, please let me clarify what I'm saying. I'm not saying if, if you just name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, you're gonna get whatever you want. So you know, if you scream in the name of Jesus for a million bucks that you're gonna have it, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we become worshipers of who God is that we live in a state of rejoicing no matter what the circumstances are. And when we get to that place, many times the breakthroughs come, not for our comfort, but for God's glory and the plan that he wants to accomplish. The clearest example of this is Acts 16. Paul and Silas, Paul receives a dream from God of a man in Macedonia who needs help. So he goes. He moves simply because of this dream. He gets to Philippi and he finds a group of ladies by a river having a prayer meeting. Where's the guy? I had a guy in my dream. Lydia gets saved. Then he encounters a gal, a young gal, who is demon-possessed. And she's able to tell the future through this demonic power. God casts out the demon through Paul. And her owners, she's a slave, they lose out on money because now the demon's gone and she doesn't cast the future for people. They get angry at Paul and Silas because Paul's affected their pocketbook and they throw Paul into prison. They brutally beat them. The Bible tells us they laid many stripes on them. They whipped them, ripping their flesh off their back and put them in the inner circle of the prison in stocks and it's midnight. And what do you find with Paul and Silas? They're rejoicing before the results. The Bible tells us that they begin to pray and sing psalms. They worship. Can you imagine it? And it it wasn't in their own hearts, quietly, but it was out loud. The Apostle Paul just beginning to express, God, you're good. You're my God. I love you. Early will I seek you. I trust you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you never leave me or, or forsake me. Would you help me in this hour of despair? And it says that all the prisoners started to listen Because this isn't the normal four-letter words that they're used to hearing. If you get what I'm saying. This is a different language. This is a different speech. And then the Bible tells us this is what happened. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And as you continue to read in Acts 16, it's the man that Paul had a dream of, the jailer. He stood there and ultimately... He was saved in his whole entire household. But Paul and Silas didn't go, you know what, I really don't like these chains. I don't really like the inner prison thing here. So let's just worship and then God's gonna send an earthquake and we're gonna get out of here. I want a breakthrough, so I'm gonna worship. They worshiped because they were worshipers. They worshiped because this was their lifestyle. This is what they did. When they were down here, they worshiped. When they were up here, they worshiped. They were in love with God. So as they worshiped, then the Lord brought about those breakthroughs and his glory was displayed to all. So continuing now in Joshua, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. God says that this city was doomed by the Lord. This is one of the things that can be difficult to understand. Maybe it's a question that you have or a question that people have asked you is how can a God of love 
ask for a whole city to be destroyed by Joshua and his army. Because if God's a God of love, then how would would he do this? And we're going to read in just a moment that everybody was killed inside of Jericho. And it's important to understand several things. Is Genesis 15, God speaking to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land, but not now. I'm going to give it to you in four generations when the sin of the Amorites is full. It ended up being 400 years that God gave this group of people the opportunity to repent. That's a long time. That's a lot longer than we would give to anybody. 400 years. The culture was one of sin, of even sacrificing their own kids, and absolute sexual perversity. And it does reach a point, and we see it throughout history, where God in his holiness brings just judgment upon a society of people. And it's not unfair for a holy God to bring justice upon sin. This may be hard for some of us to hear, but actually what every single one of us deserve from God is hell. Because that's what our sin deserves. That's the natural repercussion of our sin, is that holy judgment that comes from God. And the only thing that saves us from that kind of judgment is the blood of Jesus Christ, where he took the wrath of God for us. So to me, the greater question is not, how can a holy God hold people accountable for sin, but how can a holy God give his only son to die for my sin so that I don't have to go to hell? That's the amazing thing, that God would love us that much to provide that forgiveness for us. So we go on into verse 18, the walls fall. Here's the instructions before the walls fall down. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed thing, lest you become accursed, when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Land of temptation. Stay away from these sinful things as you conquer the city. Verse 19, But all of the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. The first fruits from the first battle belong to the Lord. You'll want to tuck that into your heart and mind. It's going to come back into play into chapter 7. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Try to imagine the sounds of this. All of the men of war shouting at the top of their lungs. These shofars going off. And then God responds, his mighty hand, and he just goes, boom, pancakes. When God does stuff, he does it in style. Amen? You know what I'm saying? He just busts it down. Says, that's it. Because if Joshua goes in and breaks down the wall, he gets a little portion of the wall broken where they kind of scurry over and go in and conquer the city. God's saying, bam, pancakes. No denying that he's the one who has brought about the victory. In verse 21, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. When God's judgment comes, it's severe because sin is severe. God waited in patience for 400 years, and now when his judgment comes, it it is severe. In verse 22, But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, 
as you swore to her. And what we find at the end of this chapter is that we take God at his word, that he's faithful to his word. He was faithful to his word to Rahab. He was faithful to his word to flatten the walls. There's several ways that we see his faithfulness to his word. So here, here we go, these two spies. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside of the camp of Israel. Rahab had faith to be in her home. We know her home was in the walls of the city from Joshua 2. This is supernatural. God crashed down everything but Rahab's house. But they burned the city and all that was with it, only the silver, the gold, and the vessels of bronze and iron. They put them into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messenger whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. God's salvation and transformation. She went from being a harlot to being in the camp of Israel. We know she gets married. Her kids lead to the lineage of David, which leads to the lineage of Jesus Christ. Great example of faith in God's transformation. This is an interesting verse that also shows God's faithfulness to his word. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with its firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up his gates. So God's saying, don't rebuild Jericho. If you do, you're going to pay for it with your oldest and with your youngest. And you'll want to write down 1 Kings 16.34. Because at that point, a man decides to rebuild Jericho, and it was exactly according to God's word. He did it with the death of his oldest and the death of his youngest. So when God breaks down a wall, don't rebuild it. That's kind of the message here. Maybe God's broken down a wall in a relationship. There was a severed relationship, and God broke down that wall. Don't rebuild that wall through bitterness and unforgiveness. So verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. Take God at his word. He's faithful to his word. The walls fall. Rahab saved. This curse is fulfilled in 1 Kings 16 when a man attempts to rebuild Jericho. So as we prepare to go our way this morning, it's very simple. We've seen several things, but this is the application. Is breakthroughs happen in our lives when we take God at his word when we walk in obedience to the word of God. We could make it a lot more complex than that, but that's not the message. The message is, if you get in his word, you receive his instruction, and we walk in faith, even when we don't understand, the breakthroughs will come. It may be a week of walking around the city. It may be six months. It may be six years, but the breakthroughs will happen as we walk into the obedience of God's word. Amen? So let's stand and pray together.